Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. When you are done listening to this great conversation, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. All of those things mean everything. Today, I'm so happy to have on Natalie Silverstein for the second time. She's only probably the second guest who's ever been on for a second time. She is an author, speaker, consultant, and passionate advocate for family and youth. Her first book, Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back, was named one of the top 10 books for parents who want to raise kind kids by Huffington Post. Now she's out with her second book, Simple Acts, The Busy Teen's Guide to Making a Difference. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much, Dr. Cheryl. It is so great to see you again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so happy to have you back. Truly, I think only you and Eve Rotsky have been wow. on twice. Yeah. So it's so wow. fun to see all I know. You're in great company. Gosh, in the same sentence. I don't know. That's pretty big. <laughs> it is pretty big. But it's so fun because I'm getting to see all of these great authors that I interview coming out with their next books. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm super excited about your next book. In the preface of Simple Acts, the Busy Teens Guide, You talk about what inspired you to write this book and also specifically for teens. So let's start off with that. What inspired you? What was going on? I think it was right before the pandemic. All sorts of things were happening. Sure. Well, I actually, um, you know, I pitched the idea a year before. So the first book came out in 2019. And I like to tell the story that I'm at my book launch party in New York City at a bookstore, an independent bookstore, and we have cake and champagne and we're having this wonderful time. It was packed with my friends and it was so much fun. And literally <laughs> that night, as I'm trying to enjoy this moment, you know, this accomplishment, I have multiple people coming over to me and saying, this is so nice, but it's really for younger families. So I wonder if you could do one for teens now. Right. And I'm like, okay, could I enjoy my champagne and my piece of cake before someone asks me to make the next um, book in the series? But of course, it had occurred to me as a parent of teenagers, of course, at the time, um, my my children are now 21, 19 and 14. But, you know, obviously, there was so much that I couldn't include in the first book um, related to teenagers, Uh, even just life cycle events that impact teens and and other things. That publisher was very specific on young families. So I, I Obviously, I had the idea. I pitched it to a new publisher, um, and they bought it, and that was very exciting at the beginning of 2020. And my contract stated, you know, the time period to write the book was literally March 1st to June 1st of 2020. So uh, I think we all know where this is going, and uh, we ended up leaving New York City, as many people did, in a panic. My kids came home from my daughter from college and, you know, it was a very scary time. I was, I became ill within a week of leaving New York. We were out in our home in Long Island, uh, hunkered down, all of us. I was sick. My husband was sick and I was supposed to be writing this book and I kind of lost the heart to do it, if I'm being honest. And I got very um, introspective and wondered, is this important at all in the scheme of this global catastrophe that is unfolding before our eyes and the amount of um, mental health issues that I was already seeing in my own home, the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the hopelessness that I was already seeing unfold amongst my own teens. And I thought, what is this book going to do? How, how is this little book going to change anything? Look at what we're facing. And then George Floyd. And I mean, you know, it was such a, um, 
a, a tumultuous time. I don't need to tell your listeners that, but it's funny that over that period of time, as I started to write and research and really think, well, I've got to do this. I have a contract. I have to make something out of this. My kids sort of started to inspire me because they were looking around at ways that they could engage with the world and give back. So my little daughter was making those um, those fleece blankets where you tie the knots. And she was she asked if we could bring them to the local animal shelter and, and donate them. My other daughter was baking and we were bringing them to the fire department. We were sending pizzas to the emergency room where we had a friend who was an emergency room physician in New York City. And so we were doing all of these little things that we talked about in the first book. Do what you can. Start where you are. Use what you have. You know, what could we do in our home every day? We could participate in things online. We could donate to the best of our ability. We could use our hands, write letters to isolated seniors, reach out to people who might feel isolated and alone, especially the elderly. Um, And we started doing all of these things. And I thought, well, here it is. You know, this is what the book is about. This is what my work is about. And so there is actually no better time. Um, then right now to prepare this book for teenagers, which speaks directly to them as opposed to the first book, which was really for parents um, and to help them to see that as big and complicated as the world is and in as hard and deep as our problems are, there is something we each can do. And that is to help others in even the smallest, seemingly insignificant ways. Um, that's really the whole theme. Yeah, that's great. It, it This all seems to come very fluidly, very natural for you to just, you know, have idea after idea. And I know that it it's in the fabric of the way you're raising your family. And it's not just something you speak about. But where does this actually come from for you? <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I, I was not raised in a particularly philanthropic home. My parents were immigrants from Ukraine which is a whole other podcast, right? Um, and so they came here with nothing, no language, no resources, no money. They, they worked hard, you know, physical labor their whole lives to put food on the table. So I come from that sort of um, work ethic, that sort of mentality. Uh, we take care of our own. My parents certainly were, um, they gave back meaningfully to their church, to their, to their community, um, their cultural community, other Ukrainians who were coming. Um, but there wasn't a lot of time to go out and work at the soup kitchen or, um, you know, do other things that I advocate for folks doing with their children. And there certainly weren't a lot of resources to, to write big checks philanthropically. Um, but there was always a mindset that you, you did what you could for the neighbor. My brother, you know, um, doing, we had a snowblower and the neighbors didn't have a snowblower. And so he would go and blow the snow of all, you know, all of our neighbors front walks and things like that, you know, um, watching the Jerry Lewis telethon with my mother because she loved Jerry Lewis. I'm, I'm dating myself. And, you know, and me calling as a child and, and saying that I wanted to donate, you know, $2 and they would send me an envelope and I would put $2 of cash and mail it to the Jerry Lewis telethon um, for muscular dystrophy. You know, those types of things I think are, you know, formative. I think those, um, this is what I talk about in my books is that doing these things habitually, making them a part of your values, a part of the way that you raise your children repeatedly, these habits and of giving and service, they make an impact. They are sort of drops in the bucket of your child's emerging character. It's not the one-off 
It's not the one time that you go on a trip and build a school. It's not the one time you go to Disney and, and work at the, you know, the volunteer um, make a wish thing there. It's, it's the things that you do over and over and over again as a family, either around holidays, around birthdays, weekly, monthly. Um, those are the important things. That's where the transition happens for, for a child. And I think when we all look back on our lives, those are the things that we remember. Those are the traditions. Those are the habits of service that stay with us. Um, so that's where it comes from for me. And I, I just think, as I, I'm sure we shared with each other the first time, intuitively as a parent, I just think we all understand the way to raise grateful and grounded children and teenagers <laughs> and have them grow into purposeful adults is to help them to open their eyes to other people in the world <laughs> who are not like them and to find ways to help and to do service and how much you get back in return. Absolutely. It's interesting. It was a part of a lot of what I was saying in the beginning of the pandemic, because, you know, there were a lot of media outlets and different people and places who were like, what should we be doing with our kids right now? And I wasn't sure. I mean, we haven't been through a pandemic in this way. And, you know, it was like from week one, okay, what do we do? How do we talk to our kids about it? And what I went to was the research as well as emergency response and catastrophes and disasters Mm -hmm. and what's most effective. And what the research consistently says over and over is giving back, right? Giving back as much as you can, whenever you can, wherever you can, benefits you almost more than it does the other person. 150%. And in the midst of a mental health crisis, which we are in, which began prior to the pandemic, as we know, the research now shows us, you know, young people, teens, this was already happening well before 2020, but it just, you know, shot up given the social isolation, the depression, the sort of feeling of hopelessness. The best way, the only way that I know to get ourselves sort of out of this spinning um, deterioration of our mental health is to open our hearts to others and to give back. That helper's high is a real thing. That endorphin rush, we've talked about this. It's, it's true. It's been researched. It's a physiological response. Why would we not want to give that gift to our children and especially to our teens now who, you know, we've talked about devices and we've talked about, you know, video gaming and and being sort of insular and looking inside. All of that is still true, but the, the social isolation, not being able to go to school, not being able to socialize, shutting down that ability to connect to others, to learn from others, to keep our, our attitudes and our minds open to others. That all comes through service. And, and I think it is just a tremendous, tremendous gift that we can give, especially to teens, because who are they? They're trying to figure out who they are and what they want to be and what kind of person they want to be. And if they can just go out into the world and share, that's really what the new book is about, share the gifts and talents and strengths that they have, the things that they love doing, identify what those are, and then go out into the world and try and share it with even one person. And make an impact in that way. And again, I try and bring it down really simple, really actionable. This is, these are simple acts. This is not, I don't expect anyone to quit school, <laughs> you know, sail across the world. I am talking about small but intentional things that you can do, you know, mindfully that will impact someone else's life. Because as you and I both know, we don't know the burdens that other people carry. And so if we can just 
put ourselves out there in the smallest way and be kind at all times. And remember that if someone's mean to you, it is because they're having a hard time. These are things that I tell my teens all the time. And, and that's, that's really what the, you know, what the book is about. I think we are really, we need something to hold on to here to get ourselves out of this mess. And I think that service and kindness and, and mindfulness and gratitude, uh, those seem like really powerful tools to me. Yeah. I like how you talk about teenagers being change makers because Mm -hmm. the, the, the notion of being a change maker is so big, right? right? It sounds so like, you know, aspirational and you make these ideas not aspirational, but actionable, like now. What do you mean by, you know, a teenager could be a change maker? Where would they even start? How do you even introduce that idea to them? I mean, it starts right off the first chapter with like this notion of how am I going to change the world if I have homework and my part-time job and basketball practice? Guess what? The answer is you're probably not. Right. And I, I, my initial um, feeling about the book was I wanted to sort of turn down the volume on this, what I think is kind of a tremendous amount of pressure that we put on our teens. So we pressure them academically. We pressure them socially to do the right thing, make the right choices. We pressure them to do a lot of extracurricular activities. Right. And now there's also this added, like, we need you. You're going to change the world. We've screwed everything up. You, you were waiting for you to fix it. I'm sorry, (laughs) that's an awful lot to ask of somebody who's being, you know, who has to study for biology and pass, you know, pass a test and take the SAT and get into college. I mean, it's a lot. We put a lot on these kids. And so I I wanted to turn down the volume on that and say, you know what? You don't have to change the whole world. So being a change maker could be creating a relationship, establishing a relationship with an elderly neighbor for whom you pick up groceries because you're already picking up the groceries for your family. You're, you're doing an errand for your mother or your father or your parent, you know, your caregiver. And you know that this neighbor needs something or might need something and reaching out and saying, what can I, is there anything I can pick up for you? Or, you know, doing the snow or whatever it is. Having that relationship and the way that that might impact that elderly neighbor's life and their safety, their ability to live independently, for a teen to see that that relationship is mutually beneficial, right? So the teen is doing things for that one person that are that is helpful, but is also learning and getting this feedback, right? This is not that that teen didn't just go and start a movement, you know. <laughs> they didn't have a march on Washington. They created a relationship with an elderly person, a person who may eventually pass away, and so then they will they will learn to live with that transition and that grief relationship building, these very small sort of organic things, I think that those do change the world. I think that that person, that teen is a change maker for that relationship that they've established. And you can take that anywhere else. They could be a coach of a children's, uh, a local, you know, they love to play basketball and there's a, a boys and girls club. And so they go over and they coach these kids and these kids are looking up to this teen. What a confidence boost. You know, the, just the, the joy of, of sharing this thing that you love with these kids who also love it and they look up to you. I mean, I really, truly believe that these things change lives, change the, the kid, the little kids lives. And it changes the teen's life to think yeah. about the way that they could be a mentor for somebody else. Absolutely. And I think for, um, you know, for anyone listening right now, you know, these are not just Natalie's ideas or like. <laughs> Just, you know, this sounds good. There's really research and data that backs this up. 
being a mentor to somebody else is an incredible self-esteem booster. So we have such a crisis right now, like you said, with adolescent mental health. And I think that when a child is in crisis, if your child is in a crisis or maybe they're in a depression, things aren't going well for them socially, whatever it might be, giving them an opportunity to shine when they feel down, when they feel like they have nothing to give and saying, you know what? Those five and six-year-olds, they look forward to you coming every week to show them how to shoot a hoop. And when you're cheering for them, they're lighting up. It's a very reciprocal kind of experience and process. So I really want people listening to realize that this is accessible to anybody and not just not just having to do with, you know, um, resources, but even esteem, even if you feel like, well, my kid's really struggling. Well, if your kid's really struggling, they need this maybe all the more. Exactly. Exactly. As you know, the the research shows that this increases confidence. It increases connectedness. We know that that teens who volunteer do better in school. They, you know, they they engage in less risky behaviors, right? Teens who, young people who volunteer are more likely to volunteer as adults. This is all, you know, this all based in science. And, And it's not just, again, a nice thing to do. People who volunteer absolutely feel better. And I think we all want to feel better right now. <laughs> I I agree. I agree. And I think this is part of a mental health plan. Um, when we're looking at all of the elements when yes. right now, right? We're looking at what makes a difference. And right. we know connection is probably number one. That's why we're in the crisis that we're in right now. Right. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that what I'm talking about is rocket science. I didn't, you know, invent the wheel here, but I'm, and I I also would not suggest that what I'm saying is going to cure our just tremendous, tremendous mental health crisis with these young people, but it is absolutely one tool in the toolbox. It has to be. Yes. And that's what I was going to go to. I love that you said that. I use that term a lot when I'm working with kids, we talk about their resiliency toolkits. And then all of a sudden I saw it in your book and I was really happy to see it there. Um, So you, you say that you can help a team build a toolkit by having it started like it almost seems like it starts within the beginning book like what are you interested in what could you get passionate about and then all the way through to what can you do about that so talk about that because i think that's exactly what um parents need to know how to help build the toolkit and then the teens need to know what they need in the toolkit so talk about that well you know first off i think a lot of times you'll hear a teen say i'm not good at anything or I don't have any talents, I'm not, you know, I don't have any gifts. I'm not talking about being a concert pianist or an Olympic swimmer, right? I'm talking about you're a very, you're patient. Your handwriting is very clear. You love to read. Um, You're great with technology. They're all great with technology. You know, you love to play basketball. What do you love to do? I think that's really where you start. It's not what are you good at or what are you talented at? What's your gift? What do you love to do? Because if you love to do something, you're going to want to share that, right? So what do they love to do? What do they enjoy doing? What are they t- talented in? What are they gifted at? What are their strengths? You know, you have a, you could have a kid who's, who's just like physically very strong. And so he could help others. You know, he could go to a nonprofit and help move things around. I mean, li- quite literally, anything that a teen is good at or enjoys doing can be shared. Absolutely anything. And so you start there. With, you first have to get rid of that notion of like, I'm not good at anything. I'm, you know, I'm just going to sit on the couch. That's not true. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a talent and they have to just 
bring it out and let it shine. Then I also talk about really thinking about what are the issues that concern them? What makes them angry? What makes them sad? I mean, there is something on the news every single day to make you angry and sad. What is the thing at at school that's happening? What is an issue that gets stuck in them and is like, this isn't right. And I want to do something about it. And then take those two things and look out into the world. And that might require some research. It might require some help from you as a parent, as a caregiver, to look online, to, commu- you know, to, to network with others in your community. How might your teen find this topic that they care so much about, an organization that's being impactful in that way? And then how might they um, apply some of their talents or skills? And something might not automatically bubble up. But if you find an organization that's doing the work that the kid is interested in, I promise you they would be delighted to have some energy, um, some enthusiasm, someone who actually passionately cares about it. And in terms of wanting to continue to do the work, I get this from parents a lot. Well, my kid is, you know, fine to do it once or twice, but they won't do it long term. I would argue if you hit on the thing that the teen really enjoys doing and perhaps even brings other friends in. It's always better with friends, kind of a social element. They will absolutely want to continue to do it because they'll develop a relationship with the nonprofit, with people who work there, with the clients, hopefully, and they will feel good about what they're giving and they will build that relationship. They won't want to let people down. I mean, that's true for all of us, but I think you have to help them catch that bug. You know, I hear it all the time when the kid finally gets that thing that they love, they catch this bug and they want to continue to do it. That's the sweet spot. That's where you have to get to. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Segwaying into that, you know, one of the obstacles I know that I hear is time management. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you talk about. Um, So what tips or suggestions do you have around time management and balancing all of this? Well, I mean, first off, I think we can all agree that we find the time to do the things that we want to do. (laughs) So this is about prioritizing this work over the millions of other things that we prioritize for our teens. I get it. They have a lot of things that they are responsible for at certainly as they get older um, through high school and, and you know, what they need to do to prepare for their next step, whatever that is. Um, But saying to a teen, giving the teen the ability to say, I'm going to carve out this time to do this work because it's a priority for me. It's a priority for our family. The giving back is just as important as the soccer and the tutoring and the this and that, right? And I appreciate that teens have to do part-time jobs. I appreciate they have to watch younger siblings um, for their family. This is, I would argue that that is service. That is service to your family. And so I, I have a broad definition of service. You know, because I, I think that our teens do a lot of service that we don't acknowledge as such. And we should, because again, that's a confidence boost saying, thank you so much for picking up your sister from soccer practice, because that really helps our family. That helps me. Let so me I pause you there. Let me pause yeah. you there, because I think that that is a change in our languaging yeah. that could really make a difference to say not just even, hey, thanks for watching you know, your younger brothers today, that was really helpful because I had to work. That's great. That's like a compliment and it's expressing gratitude. But I think we could elevate it one more level by saying, thank you for being in service yes. to our family today. And here's how it impacted me. It's just a subtle change in languaging that all of a sudden it's like, oh, 
I am contributing to the to the whole family. Greater good. The greater good. That's in the book. You'll see there's a, a chapter where I talk about these concentric circles, right? So these definitions of community, I think, are very broad. Your community starts in your nuclear, you know, in the home that you live in with the people that you share that home with. Then that goes to your, you know, your immediate neighbors around you, your block or your apartment, the floor that you live on, the building that you live in. And then that goes to your, you know, your greater city, your school community, your teams. These are all, you know, sort of communities that you need to figure out the ways that you serve those communities. And in your nuclear family, acts of service include what we would call chores, right? Um, and, you know, taking the garbage can out or, you know, and in a, I live in New York City in a building, holding the door for the person behind you, saying thank you, using the name of the person who works behind the desk. All of these things, you're, these are acts of service, acts of kindness that are just part of the way that you move through the world and, and the way that you go through your day. And so in terms of time management, I would just say that, first of all, it it's, would be wonderful if some of the things that they're doing, for the example I used of an elderly neighbor, is already part of something they're, they're already doing or they're already expected to do. And it's sort of organically just a part of the day. So it's not even carving out an hour or two. It is, I'm already going to the grocery store. I'm already shoveling the sidewalk. I'm just going to continue and help to you know, help the person here. So that's that's more about a mindset. That's just about how service becomes a part of the way that you walk through the world. And then secondly, as I said, I think prioritizing this work and giving teens the ability to say, you know, for a few hours this week, you know, you love doing this, this, you know, teaching basketball to these kids. That's something important to you. So we're going to make sure that, that that's kind of prioritized, you know, that that's important time. And you get to have that time. I'm not going to force you to, you know, go into your homework during that time or whatever. We have to give them a little bit of a break. <laughs> I think we just put so much on these kids. And again, if we know instinctively that this work brings joy, brings confidence, it's all good things. And the stories that they will gain from them, you know, we're expecting them to sit down and write meaningful essays, right? To get into college or to, to an internship or a job interview. This is where the stories come from, this lived experience of, of having interactions like this, how those impact them, how it changes their worldview, right? It's just opening them up to so much more. So prioritizing that and putting a value on that time is so important. Yeah, I love that, putting a value on that time. There's also something you said earlier, which was grateful and grounded. And I can't think of, you know, many more words to me that would probably epitomize um, what I think is so healthy in parenting and in raising a teen, um, raising really any child, grateful and grounded. Thank you so much for writing this second book during the pandemic during a very scary time. I'm so glad that you found your inspiration again, that you didn't just say, forget it. What does this matter? Right? So I think you are in service to us as a parenting community. And um, I can't say enough good things about it. I loved your first book. Your simple acts for busy families was so good. As soon as I was done with that interview, I felt so energized and I had a conversation with my kids that night and you know, even me, who's who's very much in having community as part of, you know, our family values, I, I need the reminders myself. Um, and this one about teens, I now have 
one teen and almost two in the house, you know, it's definitely something that I'm going to go over with them. And I want to hear what, what do they want to do? Cause there's an endless amount of things to do, as you said. So again, anything about little kids is they grow into teenagers. <laughs> so. yes. Right. And those teenagers grow into young adults and young adults into parents. Like that's right. it um, really can be lifelong. It's a lifelong gift really. Um, so thank you for writing it. Um, I absolutely love, again, the teen, the busy teens guide to making a different simple acts. I love it. I don't, I don't know if you're going to have a, a third part, if this is a series. <laughs> Someone said you should write one for adults. I'm like, come on, adults can Google it. Like, what are you talking about? But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see where, where, um, where it goes. But I wish you all the best. Um, I really am so happy for you and thrilled. Thanks so much for coming and sharing all of your wisdom and um, if people uh, enjoyed this conversation, again, please subscribe, rate, and review, and go out and get Simple Acts, The Busy Teen's Guide to Making a Difference. Thanks Thank for coming, Thank you so Natalie. much, Dr. Cheryl. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. You're Be well. welcome. <laughs>